of last year and holiday, time to relax and refresh, but I'm excited for us to be able to come together and get ready for the new year. I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, the breaks always tend to seem a little bit longer than what I really look forward to. Uh, vacations were kind of that way for me, too. After a few days, I started getting a little bit antsy. I'm ADD. Uh, my whole life, I've kind of been one of those people who, uh, I need something to do or else I'm going to do something I don't need to do. And growing up, even going to, going to college, over Christmas break, there was always about six weeks, and that was just way too much time than what someone like me needed. So I would always take classes over the holidays in order to kind of fill the space to keep me off the streets. It was a condition of my parole uh, to do what I could to protect women and their children. But it helped me to kind of get my head back in the game. And I, I need to be able to come back in after a time of rest to get refocused, rejuvenated, and then redirected so that what we do can be something that's worth doing well and worth doing because we're doing it for God. Amen? Uh, I am grateful to be a part of God's kingdom. I'm grateful to be a Christian. I'm grateful for the blessings that God pours out on me every single day of my life. Some of those blessings don't feel like blessings sometimes, though. And that's kind of how life can be. So many of the things that we value and that we look forward to, the process of getting to that is sometimes more difficult, more painful than what we'd like to see. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a documentary about the Army-Navy football game. And it's a very storied rivalry, one of the most intense rivalries in all of football. They have played 112 years in a row. Every year, they gear up, and they don't care nearly as much about the rest of the season as they do about that game. And yet, in the middle of that bitter rivalry, they are on the same team. That they fight for the same cause. And this documentary chronicled the entrance of two freshman cadets coming in who were both football stars in high school. Both of them had been prom kings. They were, they were kind of the man about campus until the day they walked onto the academy grounds. And it started off with their first day. How one of them was really excited his whole life he'd wanted to go to West Point. The other one was not quite so sure. But there were things about the idea of going to Annapolis that really appealed to him as well. Number one, it was one of the top-ranked schools in the country. If you can't get into the Air Force Academy, so often what you do is you will apply to the Naval Academy. And if you can't get into the Naval Academy, then you will, by virtue of default, apply for West Point. But once they got in there, there was a grand ceremony to welcome them. Chiefs of Staff greeted them, had a special presentation to talk to them about what a storied history each one of the academies had and how glorious it was for them to be there. And after his speech, he said, you now have 90 seconds to say goodbye to your family and your former way of life. And they all stood and hugged their family, and then they got up and said, parents, you are asked to dismiss yourselves. And the parents left, and the doors closed, and what we call beast began. It 
It's the beginning of the transformation from a life that they had known with very little expectation placed on to a life that was meant to forge and form them to becoming men and women of greater character. And the purpose for that wasn't to prepare them for war. It was to prepare them to be the kind of men and the kind of women that those institutions were designed to create young men and women to be. The process was incredibly painful. And at very early stages of that process, both of them wanted to quit. They wanted to get out. And yet, they stayed with it. And because they stayed with it, it helped to form their idea of what it is to be a man of integrity and character. We live in a world that is very short on integrity and character. Even in the spiritual world, we have evolved to a de-evolved state where things that are accepted are so radically different than what God ever wanted for us to experience. And when God looks at us, He sees His prized possession. He sees beings who are created by our very nature to be more like Him, to be of His character and of His conscience. And yet the process of life sometimes pulls us away from that so much. But in God's eyes and in God's heart, He's always seen how much more you and I are meant to be. The name of my lesson today is, Into Your Hands I Commit My Spirit. I believe that the last several years of my life have been some of the most difficult that I've ever faced, personally and just collectively in life. It's been a time when I look back on it, at the end of the year, say, thank God this year was over. And part of that means I'm looking forward to it being different the next year. The interesting thing is that each year, it's been pretty much like the last year. And so I'm starting to understand some. God never promises that life will get easier. What He does promise is that if we will stay the course, if we will trust in Him, then our ability to stand strong and stand firm, no matter what life throws at us, that's what will change. Because God believes in us and He wants us to become the shining stars that are examples in the world of what a man and a woman who trusts in God should be. And that's really what we want this year to be about. We want this year to be about us all individually and collectively taking our dependence, our reliance, and our trust in God to a completely different level than we've ever gone to before. Let's say a prayer. Father God, we are so grateful that you chose us to be your people. And I pray that as we begin to kick off this new year, that you would help us to put out of our minds all of the things that can fill us up and distract us, and that you would allow the Spirit to work through the music that we sung, the words of the songs, through the word of the Scripture, through the Spirit that hovers and and moves in and on us. And Father, I pray that this year can be our most glorious year ever, that as we rise to lift our eyes above that rim of flesh and see what we can be, when we place our hands into your spirit, God, when we trust in you, that this will be the best year of our lives. Father, we pray that what we do and how we do it from this 
this moment forward will be done in a way that does truly bring honor and glory and praise to you. We love you and ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the songs that we sang earlier, actually four of the songs, four of the six songs that we've sung, are all focused on the concept of relying in God. I've been a Christian now for over three decades, and I would like to believe that I have gotten to a point in my life where I trust God, where I rely on God, and yet I want to take that understanding to a completely different level, to understand what Jesus meant right before he died, when he said, into your hands, I commit my soul, I commit my spirit, the essence of who I am, that even the Messiah, who was by nature God, had to go through a process to transition to become what God intended for him to be. And there are several things that took place in that, but I want to look at exactly what it was that helped Jesus to be the representation for us of God, that brought He and God so much into unity because I want to be like Him. I want to be able to look at my life and say that what I've done has been done for a greater good, for a higher cause. Over the holidays, we had the opportunity to spend some time just with our immediate family, with Jake and Kelsey and Scott and Libby and I. And I just spent a lot of that time looking at them, quite frankly. And that's something that takes a lot of character just to be willing to do that. When you look at our families, when you look at our lives and you see the history... For us, there's some great things, incredibly exciting moments, incredibly poignant moments, but there's been tough things, too, in each and every one of our lives. There have been different points where we weren't sure what was going to happen next, and yet to look at them then and to see who they are and what they've become, there was a pride that welled up in me, not in them, not in me, but in God and what God's given to me. And I couldn't help but think about my life and all the the times that I have blown it, all the failures I've had, how many times I've had great goals, great dreams, great New Year's resolutions, only to see them fall by the wayside. And yet, I'm a little bit like a cockroach. No matter what you do to me, I'm still here. And there's a part of me that I'm grateful for that, that God has placed within me a knowledge of Him, an awareness of Him, that no matter what happens, I'm not going to give up. I won't quit. Because there's nothing else this world has that interests me. I believe that God is God. And I believe it is an honor to be one of God's people. But for me to change, for me to continue to grow, it's going to require me to be different. And the first thing that I've really been thinking a lot about is the whole concept of what it means to trust in God. The psalmist in Psalms 31 says in verse 1, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. The psalmist, even in this song of praise to God, even in this plea to God, doesn't see that it's in his talent 
that his hope lies. But it's in God. It's in God being God. God being the great I am. God being who God said he was. He goes on, he says, Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Since you are my hope, since you are that foundation that keeps me strong, lead me. Lead me forward. Draw me in. Bring me close to you. Free me from the trap that is set before me. For you are my refuge. What is the trap that's set before us? It's all the stuff that the world tells us is going to bring peace and happiness and and prosperity. I looked up real men in uh, Google the other day, and it was interesting, the garbage that popped up. But there were several people of note or of notoriety who have foundations based on helping men to become real men. And yet as I went down, so many of each one of them, each one of them has had a very dramatic drop in their own characters over the last couple of years. And yet, the world holds them up. There were press conferences, there was all kinds of celebrity interest in some of the things they were saying. And yet, as their lives have played out, their example has really shown how far we've come from what God wants us to be. God has deeper dreams for us. His dream, deeper hopes for us. Into your hands, I commend my spirit. Redeem me, raise me up, make me more. O Lord, the God of truth, I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. And as I read that psalm, I had to stop and ask myself, can I say, I trust in the Lord? Is that where I go? For my confidence or my security? Or is it to my position, my possessions? Or is it to my abilities, my talent, or my experience? Or is what gives me comfort? Is what gives me strength? Is what gives me the ability to know that no matter what happens to me, I can face it? Is that that I trust in God? That I trust that there's nothing this world can do to me, nothing that can happen to me, that God cannot supply me with the strength and the ability to handle. And the truth is, it was a very sobering thought process for me because it forced me to see how often I trust in so many other things. Psalms 37, verse 1 says, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Today, who are the people that you look up to and admire? How many of you can say it's someone in here? That you look at the outcome of their way of life and their desire to be godly and they are what you want to be. There was a time as a young Christian where I looked at the men in the church, the leaders in the church, and all I wanted to do was to grow up to be like them. And then at some point something happened and I wanted to be a little like them. And I saw saw myself drifting more and more to trying to figure out what I wanted to be. And yet what he's talking about here is the idea that we are drawn, we have a trap, a snare set before us that leads us away from being like men of God. That leads us away from being like God. We're attracted to sports heroes, to movie stars, to business heroes, to all kinds. 
kinds of people in the world who at the end of the day will stand before God and God will say, I never knew you. As I looked at my kids, you know what my dream for them is? It is not that they go off and do great things and lead churches and do this. It is that on the day they breathe their last breath, God looks at them and says, well done. Good and faithful servant. And whatever it takes for them to get there, I want, and I emphasize, I want to trust that God knows better than I do what they need to face. Because as a parent, so often, I want them to have the, the easy path. I want to grease the skids so that they don't have so much struggle. And there's a part of me that I look at the things that I went through and I don't want them to go through that. And yet that's such humanistic thinking that it is the very struggles of life that help us to become what God created us to be. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. Take your pleasure in your closeness to God. It's what brings you comfort. It's what brings you strength. It's what brings you hope. Walking closely with God. To close your eyes and to hear the Alpha and the Omega calling you because you've been chosen as His ambassador. That you and I, He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say you'll get to stay in Southern California or that you'll have it this way, that way. But He says, trust in Me. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. It may not be now. It may not even be during your lifetime. But God is faithful forever. God is faithful. And the ways of the Lord will stand true. You and I may be mocked. We may be made fun of. People may look down on us and think that we're just looking for a crutch. But in the end, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If we stay the course. Peter was one of the men closest to Jesus. He saw amazing things. He experienced things I've never experienced. I have yet to see someone raised from the dead. I would love to walk on water. I would love to just see one meal provided from a small portion. Peter saw that. He experienced things. He saw heaven open up, and Moses and Elijah talked to him about who Jesus was. And yet Peter fell so short. And like so many of us, when we fall short, and every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God, we've turned our back on him, we've denied him in different ways at different times. And there's a part of us that the shame of that can bring us down, just as it was bringing Peter down. But Jesus lifted him up. 
And simply, he didn't say, Peter, you didn't blow. You haven't made mistakes. You're not a sinner. He said, trust in me. Peter, do you love me? 1 Peter chapter 2. Towards the end of his life, Peter wrote this. And it's very interesting because he was uniquely qualified to make the statement. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Long for the things that feed you spiritually, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Do you believe that the Lord is good? Do you have any good thing because of God? Is there any blessing? You say, well, yeah, but I see people in the world that their lives aren't so bad either. There's not, not everybody's getting divorced. No, nobody's saying that. But what God says is that He is good. His life is good. And yet Satan messes with our heads. He wants to confuse us and confound us and deceive us. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You want to know what we're here for? We are here because we are being built into a spiritual house, a royal priesthood. We can become pillars like the Son of God, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the Scripture says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. You and I don't have to live ashamed if we trust in God, if we trust in His Word. Now do you believe this stone is precious? When we trust that, when we trust that God is who He claims to be, when we trust that Jesus is who He claimed to be, then being a Christian is precious to us. It's not a burden to us. It's when we stop trusting that. It's when we stop believing that. And we start believing the lie that something out there might be better. Our kids grow up in the church and they grow up almost with an inherent belief that God is God. And yet, there comes a point in time in every one of their lives when they struggle and they question and they actually think the people at their classes are somehow living better lives. Why? Because they've stopped believing in the cornerstone. And we begin to start playing games in our head about what it would be like if we didn't serve God. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people. We've got to believe that. We've got to feel that. God looked down and chose us. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are possessed. Some of you look more possessed than others. Every one of us in here is possessed. And I'm not being facetious. The only question is what possesses you? Or better at, who possesses you? And the amazing 
amazing thing about God is God lets you choose. The best marketing campaign in the world is Satan. He's convinced us death is life. He's convinced us. Try living together to find out if you're really compatible. He's convinced us if we just get to the next level of employment or the next level of possessions, then we'll be happy. Then we'll have peace. God says, your peace and your happiness rest in my hands, in trusting in me. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful life. My life's not easy. It's been tough. It's been hard. But it is a wonderful life. A life forged in the blood of the Lamb. A life forged in the battle of life. But there is nothing in my life that I would want to trade for what the world has to offer me. I have friends, relationships, who love me with a depth that I only dreamed of in the world. So many people think, well, they're just fellow other friends. The only thing, they're all just together is that we're part of the church. And yet we go out and we search for those same kind of relationships in the world. And you are going to be sorely disappointed. I have people in my life that will tell me when I'm wrong. And help me when I'm right. I have people in my life that are interested in my marriage more than they are than my comfort. I have people in my life that see in me things I have not yet begun to see. I am a chosen person. I was willing to sell my soul as a young man to belong, to have people care about me, to feel successful. But I bought into the lie of what those things meant. And what it produced was emptiness, insecurity, and death. The absence of life. My life hasn't gotten any easier, but it's gotten so much richer. The relationship I have with my children, although can be difficult at times, because they're sinful. Wretched, ungrateful, ungodly sons of their father. And yet together, a bunch of sinful, messed up people can have something better than what we could have ever created apart from God. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such goodly lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. We are God's people. It starts with trusting in God. But the second thing I came to falls right on the heels of that, and that is that we've got to listen to God. To trust in God is not enough. I hear God sing to me. It's like seeing a red flashing danger sign that the road is closed ahead, and you just keep right on driving. Several years ago, Libby and I were in Phoenix, Arizona, and we were uh, there for some meeting, and I had spoken to the church. And a dear friend of ours, brother in the church, was driving us to the airport. And he's a guy that I trust tremendously. He's an orthopedic surgeon. He's one of my closest friends. And we're on the freeway, and we're just driving along. We're talking. And all of a sudden, I noticed that the on-ramp that we've gotten onto... There are barricades at the end of it. And Sherwood's just talking away and driving. He's looking right at him. And he's not slowing down. And Libby from the back seat says, Mike. And I knew what she was saying because I'm going, oh my gosh. And literally, we're going, he was, he was speeding. He's a sinner. He's like Steve. Steve was speeding this morning. I saw it in the distance from behind him. But he's going up this ramp, and he's not stopping. Finally, I am screaming at him. And he finally locks the brakes up, and we get up there, and the overpass isn't finished. no idea. He said it was like I was blinded. That was freaky. I feel that way a lot of times driving with some of you. But I absolutely believe that Satan wanted us off that overpass. Sometimes God screams in our face to get our attention because He sees what's at the end of the road. And we hear His voice. Don't do this. Don't do that. Be like this. Don't be like that. And it's like we're in a trance. We just keep driving headlong to destruction. Proverbs 14, verse 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. It's wise for us to take stock and take time to think about how are you living? What are you doing? Fools mock and making amends for sin. Man, I have to make amends for sin because I'm sinful. When I first went into the ministry as an intern, I was incredibly fruitful. The truth is, I was one of the most fruitful people I knew as far as reaching out to people, introducing them to a relationship with God, and converting them. Ninety percent of those were people I had to go back to and apologize to because I had sinned against them. 
have happened if I'd have been too prideful to go back and say, you know what? That behavior was horrible. I'm a Christian. Matter of fact, I'm not just a Christian. I'm an intern. And I'm so sorry. Because every one of us is going to blow it. And people need to see what do you do when you blow it. Otherwise, we're doomed. But goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness. And no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There's a way that seems right to a man. All of this is leading up to this simple phrase. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. In the end, it takes away from your life. When you and I trust ourselves, when we listen to our feelings and our thoughts and our emotions above what God says, God's Word says it will lead us to death over the overpass. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. The faithless will be repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. Sometimes in life, it seems like the bad guys always get ahead. The people that don't serve God seem to have such a better life. But in the end, they will stand before God for judgment. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to a step. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil. It is time that we develop a healthy fear and respect and awe of God in the church. I want my relationship with God to go deeper. I need it to go deeper. I want my trust in Him to be better. I want to hear God's Word sing to me. I want to hear God's Word directing me and leading me. But it starts with me being willing to listen. The very first human relationship God had with man in the Garden of Eden, Satan did to them what he does to us. And it's very simply, he got them to question God in Genesis chapter 3. And he did it by a series of questions. Did God really? And we do the same thing. We read the scriptures. The greatest among you will become the servant. And yet, when we have an opportunity to serve, we hope someone steps up. God's Word talking about each one of us being valuable, that you are necessary. When you came in today, how necessary did you feel? Did you feel like if I'm not here, it's no big deal? Or did you realize, no, God put you at the right place at the right time because you're the right person to help someone else? That in you is a little spark of God's glory. In you is a little spark of hope that can motivate and help to redirect someone back to where they need to be. When we come in to sing, do we, do we just lollygag in and hope that we get there before the service is over? Or do we recognize that our presence sets the tone and the spirit for God to open the door to work in our lives? Do we listen to the Lord? In Hebrews chapter 6, 
at a time when Christians needed focus, direction, and encouragement, God reminded them of Abraham. He said, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. God made that promise to Abraham early on in his life. God's made a lot of promises to us. And so many of us, we're like Abraham. We get impatient. We think, well, we've been around a while. We've been around five years, ten years. And things don't seem to be getting any easier. They don't seem to be getting any better. And you see, Abraham is known as the man of faith, but it wasn't because he was a man of faith. It's because of what he endured. He became a man of faith. The last sentence, verse 15 says, And so after waiting patiently, that is one of the most gracious statements in the Bible. After waiting patiently. I mean, in what way was Abraham patient? He tried to manipulate and sidestep over and over again. But in God's eyes, the end product produced a man of faith. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God's timing is not my timing and it's not your timing. But God's timing is God's timing. We've got to listen to the Word. The Old Testament was written to remind us of God's historical faith. The New Testament is written to get us to look forward to the faith in our lives. Peter is such a great example of this over and over again because for all of his mistakes, he stayed the course and with his last dying breath, he gave honor to God. 2 Peter chapter 2, he warns all of us. Verses 12 through 20, 22, against trusting in ourselves and our understanding. And he says, when we do that, we're like brute beasts. Do you know what that means? You're like a stupid animal. You're like a stupid animal. Good only to be caught and to be killed. And when we do that, we do it to our own destruction. Jude says the same thing in Jude chapter 1 about godless men. He said godless men are those men who trust their instincts. One of the things I see in us is that we've gotten away from trusting God and God's people and God's word. And we trust in ourselves a whole lot more. It's amazing to me how many people have such a high opinion of their idea of how to get ahead. They've had to have a successful relationship and yet they can't point to a single successful relationship they've had. Satan seduces us. He gets us to listen to him and to love ourselves and to lower our eyes below that rim of flesh and only see what we can see through our eyes. Because he doesn't want us to hear God singing. He doesn't want us to hear the Word speaking to us. One of the things that I'm committing to in my life right now is to listening to God more. I have become an incredibly prideful and opinionated person. 
And I know that confession shocks you. And I do have strong opinions. I think I've even got some good experience and some spiritual understanding. But my track record is I've been wrong an awful lot. (laughs) I've been sure I was right. Thousands upon thousands of times. Only to see... My path was leading me to destruction. So I'm really committing myself to listening to the Word, which means I've got to be in the Word. And to trust in God. And to trust that God has given me through the Word and through the Spirit everything I need so that with all my flaws and with all of my weaknesses, I can be worthy of being chosen by God to represent Him. The third and final thing that I want to talk about is what it means to honor God. There is within me and there is within, I think, each one of us a desire to matter, a desire to be important. And it's so easy for us to look at what we've done, what we've built and what we've become, rather than seeing what God has done and what God has built and what God has helped me to become. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, one of the great men of faith, one of the heroes, Moses, who led God's people at a time when they were almost unleadable. And yet at this time when God is talking to Moses, it's at the end of Moses' life when he's looking back on everything else, and God is explaining to him and reminding him of some things. And in Numbers 20, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough. He didn't say you didn't trust in me. He said, you didn't trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land that I give them. God's saying to them that because you took it upon yourself, the honor and the praise and the pride... You'll never experience the purpose that you were called. It will go to someone else. At the end of my life, I don't want God to look at me and say, if it could have only been about me, but instead it was about you. It was all you, Mike. And so you have gained your compensation. You've accepted your glory and not reflected me. I tend to think that somehow if I get to be the guy, then that gives me meaning. 
and yet to be His guy is really where meaning comes from. What we're doing and what we're talking about, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about the church getting a great name. It's about God. And what God has done for you and what He's done for me. This isn't about accolades, it's not about praise, it's about reflecting what it means to stand in the presence of God and be called sons and daughters of the Most High. And I want you to get excited, I want you to get motivated, but I want you to do that because this is your chance. This is your chance to reflect what God has done for you. When the blind man was brought before the Pharisees and they said, Who is it that healed you? He really didn't know. He said, I haven't done it. He said, I don't know. But I do know this. I was blind. And now I see. I was blind. And now I'm beginning to see. I don't want the story to be, I got my sight back. I want the story to be, who gave me my sight? Before he died, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. At your job, don't worry about what they're going to think about you. At your school and your neighborhood, don't worry if they think you're a Jesus freak. What better freak to be? Let's get our freak on! He's nuts about the Lord. Or ashamed of me as president. We've got to stop being ashamed of each other. We're sinful. We mess up. We don't even look all that good. But we've been chosen. We need to be proud of God's people and God's church. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, for the power, by the power of God, who saved us, called us to all our life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now, it has now been revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I am appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. You and I are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation belonging to God. Stand up and be proud of whose you are. What you've heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 5 it says that during Jesus' life he offered up prayers and petitions and of Christ to the one who could save him. And because of what he was willing to endure, he became the author of salvation. I don't know that there's been a time in my life when the word rise up, O men of God, means more than what it means right now. It is time for us to rise up, to pitch in and ante up. Because we are His representatives.
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Get yourself under control. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you in Christ revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desire you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22 for God to take the cup from Him. And I don't know what cup's been placed before you. I'm only starting to see some of the cups been placed before me. And I pray that my heart would be what Jesus' heart was, to trust in God, to listen to His words, and at the conclusion of the day, to honor God. So that just as my Lord said, I can say to Him, into your hands I commit my soul. Let's pray. Father, You are an amazing God. You have shown us through time and trial how faithful You are and how much You love us, how much You believe in us. And God, as we gather now to take communion, to remember Jesus' example, the the way that He laid down His life and lived His life for us, I pray that as we are grateful for that, we are going to recommit ourselves to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and to forge ahead with the same spirit and the same soul, trusting in you and saying, into your hands we commit our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.